Welcome back to Not Like a Regular Mom podcast. So if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that I have struggled with my mental health issues like anxiety and depression. And in the spirit of full transparency, I wanted to share that I recently found myself slipping back into postpartum depression as of just a few months ago. I have since gotten back into therapy and honestly, that wasn't really feeling like enough. So I decided to start medication again and I am so glad to be feeling so much more like myself every day, um, which is a whole topic for a whole other episode, but a big part of this phase of my depression exacerbated by the daunting combination of pandemic-driven responsibilities, less help than ever, um, was this paralyzing feeling of laziness and no motivation. So the simplest tasks, including like making a phone call to customer service for something that broke and is actually making my life more difficult, cleaning bathrooms, doing laundry, things that needed to get done, felt so completely overwhelming. I couldn't face them. And then not, ma- not facing them made me feel worse. And I took it on almost as part of my self-esteem, which honestly wasn't too hot to begin with at that point. Um, and I sat in many sessions of therapy, somewhat in denial of my struggles, judging myself, saying, I don't know, I think I'm actually just lazy. I don't know if this is depression. How do I know? I just don't prefer to lay around and do nothing and not take care of my house. Um, And then Tammy, who you may remember from our very first episode about car seat safety, uh, she sent me a video from a page called Struggle Care on Instagram, and it blew me away. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen, and it helped me change my entire perspective, and I knew that I had to share her wisdom with all of you. So I am so thrilled to welcome author of How to Keep House While Drowning, licensed licensed professional counselor and the compassionate creator behind the very relatable Instagram account, Struggle Care, Casey Davis. Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. You are a breath of fresh air during the pandemic more than ever, I'm sure, but you are somebody that we have needed for so long to speak out against you know, things that bring moms specifically down so much that we just have accepted as normal. And there's so much to unlearn with our upbringing and and society and everything. So you, I'm going to let you dive in, but um, let's start with what makes you, as I say, not like a regular mom, meaning why are you on this podcast? (laughs) Well, what's interesting is that I have these social media accounts and I have a pretty big following and I talk a lot about how care tasks like cooking and cleaning and, you know, feeding yourself and doing your laundry and dishes, those, all of those tasks are morally neutral. And what I mean by that is that your failure or success as a person, as a mother, as a spouse or a partner, it has nothing to do with whether you're particularly good at any of those tasks. And if you do feel behind in those tasks, or if you feel like you struggle to get those tasks done, that's not an indication of some sort of moral failing. And, and that's the foundation for everything I talk about on my channels. And I think, you know, it's not a, it's not a mom specific channel, but it resonates so much with moms. And the reason for that is because when we think of like a regular mom in our head or a normal mom or a good mom, I think we have this picture of someone who is always patient and when they make mistakes, they're not, you know, they're like PG mistakes, right? They're <laughs> yeah. rated G mistakes. 
someone who meal preps and keeps a clean home and folds the laundry in time. And I, I don't, maybe those moms are out there. I'm sure they are, but I don't experience that sort of like fairy tale mom life. Um, mom life for me has been, I spent, I did one year of mom life with my one little kid then I got pregnant. And then when my youngest turned two years old, the pandemic started mm. and that coincided with me giving birth to my second baby. So I'm now four years into motherhood. Half of that time I've spent in a pandemic. Wow. Yeah. And so I, a lot of what comes from my channel is really me preaching to myself because I have felt that weight of, am I not a good mom? Am I failing? I, I remember asking myself, I was such a good, happy mom to one kid. And then I had two kids and now I feel like I'm really failing. Like, was I, should, did I make a mistake? Like, am I just a shit mom mm -hmm. when it comes to trying to have multiples? And then of course I would stop and realize like, literally my, the pandemic started when my second kid was born. And if you're out there and you've been parenting during a pandemic, regardless of the age of your kids, like, as a therapist, I cannot understate how or overstate, that's what I mean. I can't overstate like how traumatic that experience is. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I think that's probably what makes me not a regular mom is, is this that I'm, I am openly talking about how difficult it can be sometimes to be a mom. I, I really understand that. I can absolutely appreciate that. I have, my son is going, my older son is going to be five and he was only two and a half, a little older, two, older than two and a half when the pandemic started and I had a baby in May. So it's like, you see all this time passing and you re realize, oh my God, I've been in a pandemic. I've been a pandemic mom almost longer than I've been a regular mom. <laughs> um, yep. So did you, how did you get to this point of clarity? Is this something that you just sort of, you had an epiphany over it? Well, um, I have like a long history of mental health. And what I mean by that is both, it is like a history of addressing my mental health. So I developed a drug addiction when I was very young, when I was around 15 years old. Um, it took me a little, almost two years before I landed myself in rehab twice. And then I spent almost two years in rehab. So I got really intensive therapy as a teenager. And when I got out of rehab, I stayed in therapy. And I actually ended up becoming a therapist. Wow. Yeah, that's and amazing. most of my friends are either in recovery or they're therapists themselves. And so I just was really blessed to grow up in my 20s, kind of living a life marked by checking in with myself, seeing how I was doing, really paying attention to like my self-concept and my relationships and whether I was, you know, being healthy about them. And, and so I think that when I started to struggle I was surprised that I didn't see how much I was struggling. Mm. I thought I'm a therapist. I know what postpartum depression looks like. I'm a therapist. I know what coping, healthy coping skills are. I've been using them my whole life. And so when I started to struggle in my postpartum period, I, I kind of did what you did. Like I, I immediately went to, I'm just not trying hard enough mm -hmm. or I'm, I must be lazy or I, you know, do I, all these sort of those secret fears. Do I not like being a mom? Yeah. Have I made a mistake? No, knowing full well that I love being a mom, but I can't, 
I can't connect why I love my kids so much. And yet I'm struggling in this role as a mom. Mm, I really and, get that. And so when I started, I was probably several, several weeks into postpartum depression when it was actually my friends that started to point out to me that, that they thought maybe I had postpartum depression and I didn't realize it because I wasn't sad. Mm. I wasn't sad. I wasn't crying all the time. Like I didn't experience, I wasn't like thinking, Oh, I don't want to live or any of that. Um, the way that postpartum depression mostly showed up in my life was with rage. Yes. Oh yeah. I was so angry all the time. I was angry at my kids. I was angry at my spouse. I was angry at myself. I was snapping and yelling and screaming and just, I was seething with rage over the smallest things. I totally, totally and relate to this. <laughs> yeah. You relate to that? Oh, yes. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and I, nobody had ever told me, even as a therapist, nobody had ever told me that that's what postpartum depression could look like. And at the same time, I felt like emotionally numb. Like the only emotion I was feeling was anger. Mm -hmm. And so it was my friends that said, hey, you need to see a therapist. And I reached out to a center for postpartum health that we had here where I live and started to see a therapist. And she confirmed like, yes, you absolutely have postpartum depression. Also, you've got anxiety. Mm. Also, like you have some intrusive thoughts. All of these things that I thought I knew what they looked like, but I guess I, I didn't because I didn't recognize them in myself. Yeah, I think that's probably the most interesting thing that I, I, I relate to your story so much. I really, really feel what you, that's exactly how mine manifested too. And um, what the hardest thing for me to overcome, which sounds like you kind of relate is you're, it's one thing to compare yourself as a mom and as a person to your friends and your people, other moms that you know, and other women that you know, but when you're comparing it to your past self, it's, it's hard. Like, like I say, I've had postpartum depression before. I know that, you know, I need to go on medication again, or I know that I need to address this, but I couldn't do it. And it's like, when you're comparing to your past self and you know, I kept saying, I know better. Why am I in this? I know better. Or I know that like, I'm getting to this point of like feeling rage and I know what I need to do, but it's like the shame stops you. And I think your depression really lies, like makes you lie to yourself and like you believe it. Like I'm just a bad mom or there, like, there's just so much shame wrapped up in it that it really stops you from, from getting help. My, the therapist that I saw was really validating because at one point I asked her like what do I do when I start to feel that rage coming on mm -hmm. and she said Casey I'm gonna level with you like I'm not saying that there's nothing you can do but what I am saying is that like by the time that comes on literally the best and only thing that you're capable of doing is like going to the bathroom and shutting the door so yeah. that you don't like yell at anyone or you know throw anything yeah. She's like this, this idea that there's like these magical coping mechanisms that you can use when you're already feeling at your wits end to like turn it around. She's like, those don't really exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, if you want to feel better, we've got to go, we've got to move way back and look at where are you getting breaks? Are you eating enough? Are you sleeping enough? Do you need to go on medication? Like you don't need to be like playing whack-a-mole basically. Yeah. Right. With your symptoms, these explosive symptoms. Um, and that made me feel so much better because I felt like if I was a better mom, if I was a better therapist, if I was a better person, then like in those moments of feeling like I'm going to flip my lid, 
I should be able to intervene at that point and do some sort of like super therapeutic thing. (laughs) And she was like, that's not, people can't really do that very successfully. Like, I'm not saying you can't mitigate the damage. I'm not saying you're not responsible for your actions. I'm not saying that like, there are some tips and tricks that we can do to like, sort of, like I said, mitigate the damage that you're going to do. But the reality is, is that if you want this to get better, we've got to take several steps back from that moment because nobody is good in that moment. Yes. That's, I mean, it's like, oh, thank God. You know, and I love that something that I hate in our society is, and I know a lot of moms are frustrated by this. It's like when we talk about very basic, as you say, like, you know, functioning tasks as like self-care, even like, oh, eating a hot meal. Like, no, that's not self-care. That's, I need to function and eat a nice dinner. And I think that when you separate, you know, care tasks and function, things that you need to do to function, it just, it it's like the, it's like the, the kryptonite to all of that. I can't explain it, but looking at it from such a different perspective has taken the guilt away from like, oh, you know, I need to eat, but actually I need to feed my kids first and I need to change this diaper and I need to, oh, this house is a mess. And it's just like, no, I actually need to eat to function. It's not this like loving, warm thing I'm doing as a luxury for myself. I think there's so much of that that you address. Yeah, I think the reason that I call um, housework care tasks Mm. is first of all, to get it away from this idea of this obligation, this moral issue this external standard like all they are are tasks that care for myself and i really don't like the term self-care because of what it's it's become a very ambiguous term that is sort of synonymous to luxury or indulgence now Mm -hmm. it's like and it's extra right it's like it's the icing on top of the cake Mm -hmm. it's the things you do on top of all those other things but taking a hot shower grocery shopping without wanting to you know, spoon your eyes out, um, (laughs) eating a meal, like those type of things are basic functioning. Yeah. They're basic functioning. And so when I'm having trouble doing those things, this isn't an issue of, oh, I just need a hot bubble bath. This is like, no, no person can be expected to have the emotional capacity to raise children the way that they uh, want to, if you're not functioning. And if you're not eating, if you're not sleeping, and we're not saying that you're doing anything wrong, like there are periods of motherhood where you just don't get good sleep Mm -hmm. and that's okay. You're not doing anything wrong. There's something wrong with that. That's just parenting. But we have to be honest with ourselves and recognize that if I'm going through a season where I'm not sleeping, I am not functioning. And so I need to then plan my entire life around this completely different starting point of I am not functioning. I have to have sleep to function. So what can I do to get that sleep? If I don't have the support for that, what else can I do in my life to mitigate the impact of that? So that might mean that there's a lot more TV. That might mean that, um, you know, you are getting a lot more takeout. That might mean that, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it means that I just want to empower moms to take themselves seriously. Like you said, like, eating a meal is not a, Oh, but I've got to feed my kids. Like I've really started to draw some boundaries around that where if I'm eating something, I've started to tell my kids now for a few months, like you can wait, whatever it is. And if you want to cry and scream at my feet, that's fine. I'll put in some earplugs. I will tell you that I love you and I will eat my food um, because I have to function. 
And I, I don't know if it's a generational thing or I don't know. I think about my mom's generation, my grandmother's generation. It was very much like pride in the struggle. And I'm always like, well, first of all, I feel like our grandmother's generations were all like medicated heavily, secretly, uppers, downers, whatever, you know, in between to function. Uh-huh. And um, maybe our mom's society like had a little bit more help and comparing <clears throat> the struggle, it's not even helpful. And it's not, it, no, there are no awards at the end of this, you know, at least I find myself comparing to like, other, you know, my mom did everything so well. My grandmother had six kids. Why am I struggling with one or two? Um, but it, there's no point in comparing any of this. Yeah. I mean, first of all, we don't know if they were struggling. Right. You know, right. How many, I have friends that like their house could be pristine and all their food home cooked and their kids are all dressed nicely and they're dying inside. Yeah. Yeah. So you really don't know whether somebody is just surviving or whether they're thriving by looking at their externals. It's so true. And I think there's really two kinds of people when it comes to struggle. I think there are people that say to themselves, because I struggled, you should have to struggle mm. because they need to be validated. I mean, it's, it's, can you imagine like what an existential, what kind of existential suffering it must bring on to be like, elderly and look back and realize that like you spent your whole life giving free labor and never found meaning for yourself horrible yeah it's so true um, right and so sometimes i think that to counteract having to face that people will say well i want you to you have to suffer like i do mm. like i did everything around the house so you should do that wow. and i think the other kind of people that go through struggle are the people that say i struggle so you shouldn't have to mm. What can I do to help you not struggle like I did? And I think that those are two very different kinds of people. And I think we make the choice when we go through struggle about what kind of person we're going to be. Because I think the reality is, is that we are in a very patriarchal society that for a very long time, our, and still, I think like our society and most of our capitalism is runs on the unpaid and low and underpaid domestic labor of women. Absolutely. Um, and particularly when it comes to low paying and underpaid, uh, domestic care is women of color. Oh my gosh. Yes. And the the 40 hour work week was designed with the idea that you had someone at home doing a hundred percent of the care. Exactly. Exactly. And our society has not caught up and made changes, um, in accordance to that. And, and I just have to tell this like small story because so my husband's a lawyer and I was, I was on TikTok the other day and I stumbled upon this lawyer on TikTok that was talking about how at their firm, they have um, personal assistants. So not executive assistants that like do your, help you with your work, personal assistants that the firm has, it, they're like basically called concierge services. So the firm will have like a full-time employee and all this employee does is personal errands. So they will pick up your dry cleaning, they will schedule your reservations, make your plane tickets for your vacation, they will uh, find you a house cleaner, they will drop off your car to get it serviced, they do all these things, right? And so people were talking in the comments about like, oh, that'd be so great. And people were like, well, they do that because they know how many like hours they want you to work. But what was the most interesting was that the amount of young lawyers in the comment section that were saying, I wish that my firm would do something like this. And the response was the reason that so many firms won't do this is because they're still run by old men. Yeah. 
who all have stay at home wives. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So they don't get it. They truly don't get it because they grew up working 80 hours a week, but there was someone at home raising the kids, cleaning the house, doing the grocery shopping, making the meals, doing your dry cleaning. So they're resistant to putting that into their firms because again, they, every, and they may not say it out loud or may not realize it, but there's this assumption that someone's at home doing all the domestic work. Oh, it's so maddening. It makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah. It does. It, so anyways, I, I forgot what the original question was, <laughs> but well, no. the point is <laughs> that labor is labor and um, no, you know, I'm not even going to try and remember, re- re- pretend like I remember what the question I'll bring us back. But, and I, I it, it's, it's all so tied into everything. I will bring us back with two things that drive me nuts related to that. One, if, because there's a lot of like motivational quotes out there and, you know, the mom Instagram world where it's like, you have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. It's like, yeah, you have the same amount of hours, but you do not have a fraction of her help and do not compare yourself to somebody who you don't know anything about their life. Um, and the other thing that I hate is, um, I shouldn't say hate, it sounds so negative, but the other thing I really can't stand is this whole uh, billionaires wake up at 4 a.m. and this is how they accomplish everything. Like the, the pressure and the messages of like, you could do better, you're choosing not to. And it's like, that's a slap Ugh. in the face to the a lot of you know women of color who especially are, are waking up at 4 a.m., to do a service job or one of two jobs, one of many jobs. And it not only that, but it makes right, you... Like, have you ever met an immigrant? That, exactly, exactly. It's like, oh, how convenient that that works out for you with all of this help and ability to, like, outsource all of your tasks. But anyway, I can go on that rant. People, <laughs> listen, people get irritated sometimes on my social channels when I talk about, like, systemic issues, like sexism and the patriarchy and capitalism and these things and and there's oh when are you going to go back to talking about cleaning oh my god and and it's like these things are so related it's the same topic yeah yeah you can look at a mom and go gosh she has it all together and think that that is some sort of moral superiority on her part like she's trying hard enough she has better character than you but the truth is 99% of the time, if a mom seems like she's quote unquote doing better than you, and remember that's, we take that lightly because people don't always seem what are what they seem, right? We always compare our behind the scenes cuts with somebody else's highlight reel. But even if she was, 95% of the time, that's not a skill issue, that's a support issue. Yeah, oh, I love that. Right? Like they, first of all, we're prob- they might have a different body than you. They might have a different brain than you. But they might have different support system than you. This, just this morning, my husband and I were talking about he's going to trial soon and I might have to go out of town for work. And we literally looked at each other and we were like, I don't, and I said, what do the other people at your firm do yeah. that have kids when like this happens? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, most of them have families here. Yes. And, and we don't have any family in the city that we live. Um, and we're already more privileged than a lot of people because we employ someone as a nanny. Yeah. It's like invisible right? support so, that yes, you don't so, see. It's so, it's just, I just want moms to be sort of released from this idea. Like being a mom is hard. Our society is not set up to serve moms or to believe that they deserve any type of meaning or fulfillment in their lives outside of their role as a mom. Mm. So like, if you're struggling as a mom, that that's not a failure on your part. Like our society was designed 
for someone to be doing all the care tasks thanklessly and we don't want that anymore yeah especially because now you can't realistically in most places of the country survive on just one income so most moms have to work whether they want to or not they have to have a double income household but they are still there's like an underlying expectation that all of this should fall on the moms most of the time um so let's get into some of things that I have at least attributed to you, like the term care tasks. Is that is this a, t- a term that you have coined? Yes. I, I love it. And I want you, I know you just briefly mentioned it, but can you go into what you mean by care tasks? Because I think it's such a small but powerful shift to talk about this work. Um, so tell us like where it came from, how you came to it, and what it is. So I talk about the term care tasks in my book, and and I also talk about some other language shifts that I think are really powerful because, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of books and approaches out there that promise to kind of get your life in order in 30 days, or, you know, here's how you can get on a cleaning system. And my approach is much more about having a paradigm shift around the way that you look at your home. And the paradigm shift is this, that you don't exist to serve your space your space exists to serve you. Mm. And some of the language shifts that we're making are representative of some of these paradigm shifts. So instead of saying chores and housework, I refer to them as care tasks because the only reason to cook, clean, do laundry, do dishes, change your air filter is to care for yourself. I love that. And yeah. the reason for caring for yourself is because you are a person who deserves to be cared for, period, full stop, end of sentence. There is nothing that you left undone today that you did yesterday or that you could ever do that would remove your human right to deserve to be cared for, even if it's only by yourself. So, and so, oh, go ahead. No, no, go on. Well, so I think a lot of us do these tasks subconsciously because we think we're supposed to. Because real, you know, real women have clean countertops and good yeah. moms have, you know, do the laundry and, and, you know, valid adults don't let the dishes, you know, pile up in their sink until they have maggots. <laughs> yeah. So why do you like think everything is this external, like whether we're good enough? Yeah. And, and why do you think there is this strong feeling of morality and guilt and shame around this work? Because when I was, you know thinking about this episode, I just, I don't, I don't know the answer. Well, I think that to a certain extent, everyone feels it because we get messages from our family, from media, from friends, from everyone around us about what it means to be a good enough person. I think most of us feel as though we have to earn the right to be loved and cared for and to belong. Mm. Um, A lot of us are raised to believe that we are what we produce. So your, your worth and your value are equal to what you can produce. And I think that women are hit the hardest by this kind of message because we're told that being able to produce domestic care tasks is integral to not only our worth, our ability as a human, but also our validity as a gender. Wow. That yeah. from a young age, girls are expected to do more and different things around the home than boys are. Yeah. And I've asked my husband before, you know, if I'm look if my house is 
completely chaotic and there's stuff everywhere. I'm like, this makes me feel so bad about myself. Or if I don't know what, even if I just don't know what I'm going to make for dinner and I don't have the strength to do it, it makes me feel bad about myself. I'm like, do you feel bad about yourself right now? And he's like, no. Like he's just very directly, no, I don't. I don't, I don't know. And he can't understand how my brain takes it on as like self-esteem. It's so ingrained edited my the first edition of my book and he was like oh it's great it's good honey but then like when it blew up he was like I had no idea right I just didn't I didn't realize that was going to be such a life-changing thing for people because if you think about it like if you were to go into a boy's house that's 20 something or a (laughs) young man's house that's 20 something and like they've been on they've been sleeping on the same sheets for months and the trash is overflowing and they've been eating top ramen. Like <laughs> most people would be like, ah, boys. Exactly. What a bachelor pad. Yes. What a, like, I'm not saying that you'd be like, this is great. I'd love to live here. But you don't have that moral sort of, ew, what a disgusting person. Mm. Whereas if you walked into a family's home with multiple people living there and there was a mother who was female and there was trash piled up and the sheets had never been changed and they've all been eating top ramen. Not only do you start to associate it with ew, how disgusting, what a disgusting person. It immediately goes to the mom. Right. Oh, never the dad. Never the dad. And sometimes like never the kids, like they could be teenagers and it's like, Oh, how could a mom let that happen? Oh my God. That is so true. I could scream, but (laughs) wow. It it drives me nuts. And I think, I don't know if this is changing, but like, I think at our age, like, so I'm 35, like our grandmothers were still from the generation where like your, your stability in life was dramatically affected by whether you were married or not. Mm, Yeah. Like it was important to your survival and thriving as a human woman to get married and be stable and taken care of. So when they gave us these messages of, no one's going to want to marry a girl with tattoos or honey, no, what, what kind of man is going to want to marry a woman that can't keep house? Mm. What kind of man is going to want to marry a woman that can't cook? Like to, we experience that as very shameful, judgmental sort of comments. But to be perfectly honest, that seems like it was born of the trauma of like, I have to fit this gender role or I quite literally might be like destitute and not okay. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's just, it continues to be passed down through generation, even though that's not the case. Anymore. Yeah. I feel like there is a disconnect between even our generation knowing or realizing that uh, if our, maybe our parents might not have been married, you know, sure, your parents could love each other and want to have been married, but there are many cases I'm sure where, you know, the woman couldn't even own a credit card or have a bank account depending on how old, you know, what generation I guess your parents are it was well only the 60s or 70s that that all changed so it was an obligation to get married to actually live in society so there is a disconnect that you know we have to unlearn that a little bit and like detach from all of the things that come with that and I think most people feel deeply insecure And when we sort of the cheap and easy way to feel worthy is to look at somebody else and compare yourself as being better than them. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think a lot of times people who are very insecure will sort of grasp for anything they can look for to make themselves better than you. And oftentimes that is these sort of the low hanging fruit of these messages of, well, I had postpartum depression and I never let my house get this way. Or I had six kids and I never let our laundry be unfolded. Or I always kept a clean house, even though I hated myself. (laughs) It's like, this is not the flex you think it is. (laughs) Uh, but B it's like, it's just people, you know, that's, that's how that cycle continues. Right. So then you have this, this mom getting these messages that she I'm failing, Mm. I'm failing because I can't keep up. I'm failing because I don't like some of these tasks that I have to do. Oh my God. That really nailed it. So tell us about your six pillars of struggle care. So the whole book, the whole philosophy, all of my account, they're really based on these six pillars. And and this came about because as I was talking to people and answering questions, I found really the questions kind of followed six main themes. And so the answers usually followed six main themes. And the first one is one we've been talking about, that care tasks are morally neutral. They do not make you a good or bad person. They have nothing to do with your success or failure. And they have nothing to do with your ability to be happy and like yourself. The second one is one of my favorite ones, because once you realize care tasks are morally neutral, people start to say, well, if they're not moral, then what are they? And the answer to that is that they're functional. They're just functional tasks. They are amoral, neutral. They are just functional. They have to do with you being able to function in your home. And that's when the next pillar comes in, which is that you deserve kindness regardless of your level of functioning. You deserve kindness from other people and you deserve kindness from yourself. Nobody has ever shamed themselves into better mental health or Mm. better functioning. And nobody has ever been shamed into better functioning. And so, you know, not, not shaming others, not being, not shaming yourself. It's not just a nice thing. It's not like, Oh, let's just be nice to each other. It's a functional issue. It doesn't work. It will not make you better at care tasks. It will not make other people better at care tasks. And it sucks and it feels bad. So let's knock it off. We have literally no reason to do it. Um, And so the third one is that you can't save the rainforest if you're depressed. It's my favorite. And this one came about when I was doing some videos about what to do when your dishes were really overwhelming. And at one point I said, you know, if what's stopping you from doing your dishes and cleaning out your fridge, or for example, is that you have like molded food that you, you don't want to deal with, um, just throw the container away. And I got so much pushback on, well, this is so bad for the environment. And, and, and my thing was, listen, someone who's so depressed, they can't like do their dishes. That's, that's not who's killing the environment. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like take that energy to Congress. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, if you're so depressed, you can't take your recycling out. Like you can't break down all your boxes and like, just throw the boxes away, throw them in the trash. Okay. Like the recycling wasn't getting done anyways. Like the option isn't, do I clean out this dish or do I throw it away? The option is like, does it sit in my fridge rotting and keeping me from functioning or do I throw it away? Um, you know, do the options are, do I throw away all of this cardboard today? And function, or do I let it stack up in my house and keep me from unfunctioning? Like the eco-perfect action is not an option for some people. Realistically, yeah. At this moment in this day, 
And so I'm really a big fan of when someone is not functioning, doing whatever you can to function, throw away whatever you need to throw away, um, get rid of whatever you need to get rid of, jump over the stuck parts, get yourself back to functioning because the kind of change that we need to really tackle the climate crisis is not going to be changed by all of the depressed people in the world um, cleaning out their plastic. <laughs> like that's not going to do it. That's not going to get it there. It yeah. is going to be from people that have enough capacity to make changes at a governmental level. And the government is not going to do that unless there are enough people who can get involved, who can put pressure, who can make sustainable choices. And people can't make sustainable choices or put pressure on their local and federal governments if they're so depressed they can't even leave their house because they hate themselves about their dishes. Yeah. Wow. So that's what I'm saying. Um, so that's that's about the rainforest. The next one is that rest is a right and not a reward. I think a lot of us believe that the right to do nothing and to rest and to recreate and to indulge is is, an, is a privilege. It's something that you get to do once you've earned it, once you've done enough work, once you've produced enough, once all your care tasks are done. And that's simply not true. It's not irresponsible to choose to rest instead of choosing to do your dishes. Irres remember, irresponsibility is sort of a moral issue. Um, you're allowed to decide to rest. It's a need. It's a right. It is integral to your functioning as a human. And I don't know anyone that has enough hours in their day. Like you got to make some cuts. Right. And, and if you find yourself always resting and never doing your dishes, that just means you need some functional changes. But I think a lot of us are afraid that if we allow ourselves to sometimes rest, we're going to fall down some sort of slippery slope and become catatonic and not get anything done. And I just, I think that fear is unfounded as long yeah. as you're resting from a stance of kindness. Like most of us believe we're not allowed to rest until everything's done. And so what happens is we exhaust ourselves and then we just sort of quit on ourselves. And then we just feel shame for resting. Like I can't rest. I shouldn't be resting. There's things to do. And newsflash, that's not restful. Yeah, nope. Nothing about that is going to meet your need for rest. And what's going to happen is that you're going to bully yourself into getting back up and doing more. And you're going to go, see, that didn't even work. I'm not even rested. Well, that's because you didn't rest. <laughs> it's so true. So anyways. No, for that's sure. That's that one about rest. Um, and then the next one is that shame is the enemy of functioning. And I, I really touched on that already, that when you feel shame about something, it arrests you. It makes you slow down. It makes you turn inward. It makes you pull away. It does not motivate you to want to get up and, and try again the next day. It makes you want to hide. Um, and then the last one is that good enough is perfect. I really think that good enough is perfect. I really believe that basic bare minimum functioning should be like what we aim for in our homes. And if you like it, if you have the hobby of decorating, if you have the hobby of homemaking, go for it. I'm so happy that that hobby makes you happy. But unless that's not, unless that's your hobby, like I think we should be aiming for like basic functioning because there's just better things to do with our lives. And we have better things to do than to hate ourselves over dishes. Yeah. I, that, oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with the six pillars. I think that that once I went down that rabbit hole of your work, I was just like, I <laughs> worship this entire mindset. <laughs> it is, it just addresses every angle of at least what kept me really depressed and really stuck. And I think 
the fear that I had, and I'm sure some women have, is you sort of touched on this. Like if you stop, if you give yourself a pass, you're never going to, you're actually going to spiral in the other direction of getting nothing done ever and become catatonic. And I don't think that's the case. I think that you've actually, I think you have a video about this where, like you said, if you feel like you need to rest and you need more rest, you actually are not getting the right type of rest. You're getting that you're, you're resting, but you're stressed out about the fact that you're resting. <laughs> so all of yes. these kind of give you like the past that you need. Yes. And I, and people have had this experience and I've had this experience where you feel like, well, if I really give myself full permission to rest, I'll never get up again. Yeah. And, and I just always like to tell people like, try it, like test that out because most people find that at some point they, they, if you do it right, right. If you really rest, if you're kind to yourself while you're resting, if you have full permission to rest at some point, you do want to get up and care for yourself. Yes. If you have the right support, right? Like I consider the right support being sort of those other X factors that you may need in your life. You may need medication. You may need therapy. You may need to move somewhere where you have a better support system. You Mm -hmm. may need a different job that isn't so toxic. Right. So I'm not saying that there are other reasons Um, but if you have the right supports in place, I find that kindness is very motivating. So if I'm, if I'm laying down and I'm really, I don't want to get up, but I think to myself, you know, it would really be a kindness to morning self. If I were to get up and put those milk bottles into the washer, the dishwasher, that's so much more motivating to me than, uh, I didn't put the (laughs) milk things in the dishwasher. Uh, why can't I ever stay on top of it? I should do it. Get up. I want to get up. I should get up. I don't want to get up. Right? Like, that is not a helpful place to be, in my experience. Oh, I live there. That's usually where I'm at. And it's so hard to shift (laughs) that. It really is. So, and what I struggle with, and I, I think a lot of women in particular struggle with the same, is you're not necessarily giving yourself a pass to just not do things. So, you're not, like... Maybe you're letting the laundry go for a few days or you're not cleaning up a mess right away, but you don't want things to pile up. Like this was my fear. Oh my God, everything's going to pile up and it's going to be so daunting. It's going to be, I'm going to feel worse than before if I just like tackle it. So it's like such a big obstacle to find the balance of giving yourself a break versus making more work. And it gets pretty paralyzing. At least that's how I felt. So what is your advice there? So that's when it kind of gets into what I refer to as the gentle skill building part of my philosophy, which is finding adaptive rituals and rhythms that help you keep things in a functional way that allow you the flexibility to rest when you need to. So let me give you an example of that. So I have um, one of my favorite like rituals is called closing duties. Mm. So I used to be a waitress and we always had closing duties at the end of our shift. So what I found was that at the end of the day, I had put my kids to bed around seven and then I would just collapse on the couch, right? I was exhausted mm-hmm. after a day of being with my kids and, um, and then I would wake up the next morning and then like everything was in disarray, right? Like the milks had curdled in their cups and I didn't have fresh bottles and there wasn't enough room on the countertop to make breakfast and now they're screaming cause they're hungry. And so obviously it was like, okay, like good on you. Like, yay, you gave yourself the ability to rest, but also like things aren't functional. So what we don't want to do is go in the opposite direction where we start where we go, okay, once the kids are in bed, then I need to start cleaning. I need to clean my kitchen because I find that both 
sitting down and doing nothing and cleaning till two in the morning because I've had women tell me every night when my kids go to bed, I start cleaning and then I don't, I don't stop till 2 a.m. Yeah. Or I don't stop till 10 p.m. and I don't get any time with my husband or I don't get to, what are you, what are y'all doing hobbies? I have to spend my whole evening cleaning. Yes. And so I find that both doing nothing and doing everything stem from the same black and white belief that it's all or nothing. Like it's done or it's not done it's clean or it's dirty, like these binary states, right? And when it's done, you're good. And when it's bad, when it's dirty, you're bad. And so closing duties was sort of my way to, um, to find that middle ground. And so when I look at my kitchen and I say, I need to clean my kitchen, that's such a big ambiguous task. What does that mean? And where do you stop? Because I could technically be scrubbing like the, the, dried food from inside the oven still cleaning my kitchen but do I really need that done for tomorrow morning right Mm. no I don't so my closing duties is a list of five or six things that I need to do in my kitchen to make it functional for the next morning and I spend no more than 30 minutes on it and so I look at my kitchen I think okay what would I need in the morning to function and I realize that I really want my cups coming out of the dishwasher I want them clean I want them ready to go so that became the first thing was unloading and reloading the dishwasher and running it every single night. Even if it's a half full dishwasher, I need that ritual, Mm -hmm. that rhythm of putting it in and running it. And so I would unload and reload my dishwasher and I would make, I have a blast with a huge kitchen Island. And so I would tell myself like, I just need enough of this Island cleared off to be able to prepare food in the morning. Like, I don't have to go through and clear the whole thing off and deal with how, oh, this thing doesn't have a place to go. And, oh, yeah, what was I going to do about this package? Just enough to be able to prepare food. So I would clear that off. I would wipe it down. And then I would take my trash out. And, again, I took my trash out regardless of how full it was because I know that I need at least a whole trash bin for most days. And what happens is that when I put off taking my trash out, then when there's no place for the trash to go, I just start leaving it on the counter and yeah. going on the floor. And that's kind of when I get my head underwater with the trash. So I do my dishes. I clear that part of the counter. I take the trash out. I take my medication um, because I know that's part of a functional morning. Yeah. Um, and then when my kids were doing a little part-time preschool for a period of time, I would I had my, their lunch boxes on there. Like I would go get their lunch boxes out of the car, clean the lunch boxes out. And they actually had little, um, freezer bags like sewn into the lunch box. So I'd put the lunch boxes in the freezer for the next morning. And then I'd make iced coffee because I love iced coffee. Um, and so, and then when I was doing hot coffee, I would just like make the hot, put the hot coffee, get it ready. So that I just had to hit a button. Um, and I can't remember how many those are because it fluctuates, right? I, I'm always t- putting things on and taking things off. But that to me became my nightly ritual. Um, my husband would put our toddler to bed. And while he was doing that, I would be doing my closing duties. And when they were done, I was done. Like I clocked out. Mm. And it was this perfect merriment of, okay, I get to rest. I get an evening to myself. I get all this time to either do nothing, do something, do a hobby, hang out with my family or my, my husband. Um, and I know that I have what I need to function the next morning and I could really just let go of everything else. I am obsessed with it. This has been probably the most inspiring thing. Um, because I think we get so wrapped up in, okay, my house has to, everything has to go back into its exact place. I think that we got a little too carried away with our organization 
aspirations, you know? Yeah. And it's like everything has to go, you know, like nothing ever happened. And it's like, it's so stupid because the next day your kids are only going to make another mess. And it's like you're creating goals that are not even attainable at that point. Um, right. And like the point of putting things away is so that there's enough room yes. to make a mess. I love that. I, like the countertop thing that you say is probably one of my favorite things because I'm always like, oh, I really want to just have everything cleared off. And it's like, you know, that's not happening tonight. And I'm going to feel really neutral about that. Yep. <laughs> and it's and a practice. Say, yeah. Yeah. And I also, I will say, I also have what's called survival day closing duties, which is like when I'm sick or stressed or depressed or something is just not clicking that day. Um, I have like a shorter list that basically says, take my medication, um, put the milk cups in the dishwasher. So I don't even unload and reload the dishwasher. I literally just <laughs> shove the milk cups in with the clean dishes and run it again. Um, take my medication and then take the trash out. And so it's like, that's it. Mm, and I love that. Like I have full permission to like let myself off the hook anytime I want to, because I know that takes five minutes, maybe even less than that. That probably takes three minutes. And no matter how bad I feel, I always feel like I could do three minutes. And then I'm not hating myself in the morning. I'm not like, oh, I didn't do it. It's like, okay, you know what? I had a hard day and and I chose to take care of myself and and look out for morning me a little bit. And that that to me eases it. Because when I have days where things are hard and I don't do anything and we stay in our pajamas and watch trolls on repeat, <laughs> I find that my ability to get up the next morning and like go, okay, today's the day to get caught up or whether I wake up and stay in that place of, I don't feel like moving. I have found that for me, that really comes down to what am I telling myself about the day before? Mm. If I, if the story I'm telling myself about the day before is that's a day where I failed, that's a day that I mailed it in. That's a day I was a shit mom. That's a day where I didn't do anything and I was irresponsible then I, I, nine times out of 10, I'm still going to feel paralyzed the next day and not want to do anything that day. Absolutely. But if what I tell myself about that day before is what a great kindness I did for myself and my family to just let everybody rest, to just let mentally, physically, emotionally, we had so much fun. My kids are going to remember eating pizza in their pajamas mm -hmm. as this fun day with mom Aww. where, you know, we all just got to rest. How cool was that that I did that for myself? When I when I tell myself those sort of things, the next day I wake up ready to be kind to myself in another way. Yesterday I was kind to myself by doing nothing. Today I feel like being kind to myself by maybe doing a little bit more than I would normally do to kind of get things caught up. It's so sane. It really is. It's the way I feel like you are the mediator between the battle of the battle between past, present and future self. <laughs> That's yeah. what it feels like because yeah. you're so stuck. We can never just accept how the day went the day before, accept where we're at today and, you know, do the best that we can tomorrow. It's like always feeling bad in all directions. Yeah. Wow. And it makes a big difference on your ability to motivate, your ability to initiate tasks. And I mean, I think about it also like you would a partner. Like if you had a partner that no matter what the house looked like, they came home and loved you and cared for you. And they walked into some huge mess and went, oh God, honey, it must've been a hard day. What can I do to help? Yeah. Like that's someone who the next day, like 
I want to clean things up and I want to cook them a meal and I want to bring them a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Like that makes me be like, look how nice the house is today. And then they're like, oh, it looked great. Yeah. That's motivating to me versus like if you had a partner that came home and was like, what is this? Like, were you, you were so lazy today. Like that's not someone that makes me want to do anything. That is so true. See, my husband is the first kind. I'm very, very lucky. He is, he, you know, and I never thought of talking to myself the way he talks to me and talks about it. Yeah, That's like a little hack right there, at least for me. <laughs> That's really, it's totally. really true. So speaking of, you know, helpful partners and support in general, even if you have help, Sometimes it's very, very difficult to accept help. So for those who are lucky enough to have that option, sometimes it feels really bad to accept it from, you know, people who might not do it up to your standards. I struggle with that with my husband or, you know, so doing it right, doing it wrong or, or, or for me, I also don't like to take on the, the task of breaking down how something needs to be done. So all these parts of accepting help, do you have any advice there? <laughs> Um, I do. So the first thing is that I think a lot of that still stems from that moral view of care tasks. Mm. Like this is something I should have done. This is something I should be able to do all by myself. And I think, you know, kind of harking back to what we were talking about earlier is it's like, that's not the case anymore. Like there is not a person that like should be able to pull all of this off. Um, like our society is not set up to, to empower you to do that. Um, so, so when we think, oh, I should be doing this, getting help from somebody else to do it with you or for you feels like failure. Like it's just admitting that you failed. Mm-hmm. And if it's a morally neutral task that really has nothing to do with, with you succeeding or failing, it's a lot easier to accept help. Like I just, I don't know a lot of people that feel shame when they pay someone to rotate their tires mm-hmm. True. and change their oil. Like, I don't know a lot of people that feel shame when they pay someone to come and spray for pests or mow their lawn, right? Like, we don't have that same association with other things. Like, my husband has never been like, I just feel so shameful when the yard people come (laughs) because, like, that's my, I should be, I should be able to do it. Like, I should be able to be a lawyer and a dad and be on top of the lawn. Like, he has never said that. And I promise you, he doesn't think that. (laughs) He thinks, he thinks thank God I would rather eat worms than mow the lawn. <laughs> yeah. like, right. Um, but we have that about our homes. And so I think realizing that, you know, you don't feel bad about not churning your own butter or knitting your own sweaters or changing your own oil. Why would you feel bad about, you know, doing your own dishes or your own laundry or your own dusting or your own toilets or mm. any of that stuff? Um, it's just a functional task and it is morally neutral to outsource your functional tasks. And as far as, I mean, this is the control freak in me where I'm just like, oh, you know, maybe my mom could help fold with laundry if she's here, you know, but she doesn't do it the way I like it. And then I, Mm -hmm. I don't know why I have so much emotion tied into it. I have a lot of friends who have, everybody has a thing. My thing is definitely my laundry like that. And it's really hard to accept help. It's, it doesn't even make sense because it, the help is, is worth so much more than, you know, how it's done. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's some, the term that the term for it is maternal gatekeeping. And it usually refers mm. to like when we won't let our male spouses do something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because it's the way it has to be done a certain way. And we, we really hamstring ourselves and we keep ourselves from having a lot of support by doing that because, you know, it has to be done a certain way. And, and sometimes that's just something that we have to make the decision to let go of. Sometimes it's fine to, if you, if you can juggle that support around and say, you know what, I like doing laundry. I like doing it the way I like doing it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get help with other tasks in my home so that I have the time and energy to tackle Mm. this one task that I'm very particular about. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And I would also say that I, I believe that anxiety disorders are massively underdiagnosed in women in particular. Um, when that anxiety manifests as being obsessive about their home. Mm. Oh yeah. Because that's often looked at as a virtue, someone that, oh, everything's always in its place. Everything's always done according to the rules. Everything is always neat and clean and tidy. They're always cleaning. These are the people that can never sit down. These are the people that can't sit down for a whole movie. These are the people that can't let their kids play because it's going to mess something up. Right. I think, or they can't sit down to rest unless everything is done. And it's not realistic to put your house back into museum quality every single day. It's not realistic. I get if you want it, but that's fine. I would love to be on the beach every day, but I can't be. Like, there's a difference between saying like something brings you peace, and when something is not done, it gives you anxiety. Like being on the beach gives me peace, mm. but I don't have anxiety when I'm not on the beach. Yes. Oh God, that's exactly. Okay. I would. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Having having a super clean home where everything is tidy and well decorated does make me feel peaceful but I don't feel anxious when it's not in that state. And that's the difference. Oh my God. That is Um, like an epiphany there. Yeah. I think a lot of us use cleaning, organizing, tidying care tasks as a way to manage our anxiety and it doesn't work very well. And, and hear me, you deserve better tools for your mental health than having to have a perfect home. Yeah. I love that. So I'm very curious of your opinion on something. I'm not really sure what your your opinion will be, but I find myself, and I know my mom's like this, my friends are like this, where we're sort of multitasking our downtime, which is it's like it seems like a slippery slope. For example, I will always listen to podcasts and audiobooks while I'm cleaning my house or watching TV while I'm folding laundry. And I'm sort of like, oh, this makes this task enjoyable. But then I'm like, am I cheating myself out of this downtime? So what do you think of that, doing things like that? In general, I don't like to tell people to overthink their downtime very much. <laughs> okay, that's good. Right? Because it's like the, the quickest way to make yourself not rest during rest is to like worry about whether you're doing rest right. <laughs> It's me, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's an awesome idea to find activities that you enjoy to pair with care tasks. Um, but I think what's funny is like you say, like if you're folding laundry and listening to a podcast, you refer to that as folding laundry in your downtime. Whereas if I'm folding laundry and listening to a podcast, I would refer to that as doing something that I enjoy while doing care tasks. Mm. 
Ah. Like, and I, I yeah. don't, and I don't think, I'm not, I really don't have like a right wrong. Like, I don't think that there's like a healthier way to refer to it. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting observation. Just like who I am and my personality. Like I would never consider folding laundry being in my downtime. Right, um, right. I would always be like, oh, I have to fold laundry. But I know that if I also listen to a podcast, that's going to be more motivating. That's going to be more, make the task more enjoyable. But what's funny is like, if I was putting up, um, if I was like putting up shelves and hanging pictures, I would consider that my downtime. Oh, that's so, I'm terrible at that. <laughs> that because is funny. an activity that I really right. enjoy. Right. I understand that. that. And interesting to me. I understand that with um, other things, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I just thought that was sort of an interesting observation. So I don't think people should overthink their downtime, really. Um, but I do think that the, really the thing to think about is whether you are able to give yourself permission to do nothing productive. Mm, on top of that, yeah. Like, yeah, like there's a difference between, like my mom finds ironing like soothing. Mm. So like, it doesn't feel like this like laborious thing for her to like put on a show that she likes and iron her sheets or her clothes or whatever. Um, Whereas like, I don't like laundry. So like every time I do laundry, that's like, that's never gonna feel like downtime or off time, right? So there's a difference between like, I enjoy this activity and it's kind of, it's energizing to me uh, versus its energy sapping to me. And what I, the only thing I want to caution people is, is that if you find that you have to justify your downtime by pairing it with something productive, that's where I would want to get curious about where that's coming from. Because mm. saying, I don't really mind folding laundry. I'm kind of particular about it. It's soothing to me. I do it while I watch a podcast. Mm-hmm. It's all over kind of an enjoyable experience. Great. That's awesome. Like you're allowed to like laundry. Right. (laughs) But if it's one of those things where like, I don't, I'm not allowing myself to ever just sit down and watch a show that I like, unless I'm also doing something productive, that's where I would want to get curious with myself about where, 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 where do I need to give myself some more permissions? That that's an amazing answer. I think that that answered it exactly. Like that. I think I just see it as too black and white. I think a lot of us do. That was, that's yeah. so interesting. So I really, I'm so sad that we're already like an hour into talking. I could talk to you forever, but we do have to wrap up because I'm sure you have a thousand things to get to, as do I. Um, so can you share with us your best piece of solicited parenting advice? Yes. Nobody is doing all the good things at the same time. Hmm. Um, you will read so many mommy blogs about, and some of them well-written by experts about the best way to do things, like the best way to handle screen time, the best way to handle meal time, the best way to handle free play, independent play, the best way to handle bedtime and sleep issues, the best way to handle developmental um, progress, the best way to handle, right, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, But a blog is not raising your children. (laughs) A human being is. And there is no human that can do all of those things at once. So like the days when I am letting my kids play independently and I'm cooking a meal from scratch and we're not watching any TV are the days when my house looks like a bomb has gone (laughs) off and nothing gets cleaned. And right, like that's what it looks like. Totally. Um, The days when I am letting my kids participate in 
cooking with me and and because you know oh I, I, I really should tell her that that look that's great are the days when um by the time that meal is over i'm turning on the television because i've so i've been having to be so patient with having having a toddler cook that yeah. i feel like i'm gonna lose my mind yeah. um the days when i play with my kids and i let them pick their own outfits and we go to the zoo and we have a picnic at the zoo and we you know do all these other good things that's the day when i'm getting mcdonald's on the way home because we're all exhausted mm. um like nobody is doing all of those things on the same day that is such good advice i think about that all the time you know there's a lot of like specialized instagram accounts that you know whether it's play or everything that you you said there's just specialized blogs but i'm sure there are parts of their lives that are uh not tended to or they are more forgiving in other areas in order to do those things yeah and it's totally okay to have days or seasons where you're prioritizing one thing over another like when the pandemic was really hard and my kids were really young i was prioritizing um respectful parenting and not screaming and not yelling and not Mm. being mean Mm. um and i will tell you that we had our tv on all the time yeah yeah because i had I didn't have enough support and we couldn't leave our house because we were isolated and you know, we were supposed to stay home and it was, it was a hundred degrees outside. So we couldn't go outside. And I had a very short fuse and a very small bucket of capacity for the kind of patience and respectful attitude that I think is necessary and, and what my kids deserve. So we would have the TV on for an hour and then we would turn it off for 45 minutes while I would engage with them and play with them and then when i felt myself getting frustrated when i felt myself sort of losing it the tv would come back on um and at that time i felt very confident and i still am very proud of myself for recognizing that my children experiencing a mom that is kind to them was the better harm reduction than caring about how much screen time they got that is the, and yes in a perfect world they get both but it wasn't a perfect world yeah like harm reduction is the phrase that my mind always goes to i always forget what the phrase is but a lot of what you talk about is harm reduction i think mm-hmm. that that's totally i love it i think that we really need to kind of focus on that more as moms in general um yeah, you said that perfectly. You're really good. <laughs> you really are. Oh, thank you. Um, so can you please plug, so you have, your Instagram page is different than your TikTok, right? Plug all of your yeah, so, services, your social yeah, media. On Instagram and Instagram and Facebook, I'm Struggle Care. So mm-hmm. on Instagram, I'm at Struggle Care. Uh, Facebook is Struggle Care page. On TikTok, which is actually my bigger account that I post on multiple times a day, um, I'm at Domestic Blisters. Mm-hmm. Um, so D-O-M-E-S-T-I-C-B-L-I-S-T-E-R-S. So sort of a play on domestic bliss. Ah, um, oh, I, I love that. <laughs> called strugglecare.com. And I have a book. I have a book called How to Keep House While Drowning. Um, there's a second edition that's going to be published on April, but you can pre-order it now. So if you go to my website and just click book, you can pre-order it from almost any vendor that you like. And 
what else do I have? I think that's it. That's all I got right now. And I want to emphasize that I've seen you emphasize that if you are completely overwhelmed and the last thing you think that you have time for is reading a book. I know that you have taken the time to make it very short and uh, easy to read. So <laughs> that's yeah, always helpful. So the, the chapters are very short. Yeah. Um, they're, we've done some things like we've bolded the main points in all of the chapters so that if you're a skim reader yeah i've also have what's late called an, an abridged path through the book so if you're someone who's like i can't read a full book but i could maybe read for 30 minutes mm-hmm. um I, it outlines exactly what chapters to read in those 30 minutes for you to kind of get the gist of the book that is so helpful it, to me yeah so you yeah can the audiobook. i love that i i love that you've made it something that's really accessible in a lot of ways so thank you for that <laughs> So Casey, thank you so, so much. This has been eye-opening. Just when I thought I've seen every one of your videos and knew everything I could, you have really given me like 10 epiphanies in this hour alone. So I just wanted to thank you again and everyone follow her now. You will be so happy that you did. And be sure to follow Not Like a Regular Mom podcast on Instagram. Shoot me an email, notlikearegularmompodcast at gmail.com with any questions, suggestions, feedback, And again, follow Struggle Care and Domestic Blisters today. (laughs) Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you so much.